I'm so glad to be here with you guys. For those of you who are here for the first time and you're wondering, what are we doing here? This is the Read and Rant. Every morning, every weekday morning, we come together in reflection of the word. What we do is we spend time in the reading of the word. I believe reading is a powerful endeavor. Reading is a powerful activity. Reading is transformative. If we can just spend time in reading the word of God. So we want to spend about 20 or 30 minutes every morning just reading the word. And you'll be surprised how much scripture you can actually get through if you would devote your time into reading the word. Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing is is that we spend time in ranting. Really, it's to teach you how I I read uh, meditatively. Um, When I read the scriptures, I'm asking myself three questions. I'm asking myself three questions. I'm asking myself, first of all, um, what is God saying or revealing concerning himself? That's the first question. The second question that I'm asking is, what is God saying or revealing concerning people? And the third question is, what is God saying or revealing concerning us? What is God saying or revealing concerning us, concerning me, concerning me for you would be concerning you. So make it personal for yourself as you spend time in the reading of the word. And we do that. We do that for an hour a day and an hour a day, uh, it will transform your life. And so that's why we're here. And if you are here for the first time and you're like, wait a second, so we've been doing this. Yeah, we've been doing this now for 14 weeks. We've been doing this for 14 weeks now, only on the weekdays, reading for 20, 30 minutes a day. We've gone through the entire New Testament And now we're in the Old Testament going through the book of Genesis. And we're in, uh, I believe, Genesis 25 today. We're in Genesis 25 and we're just going to read. If you miss the read and rants and you're wondering, hold on a second, how do I get to be a part of this? Like, how do I, I want to catch this stuff. Well, you can catch it in two ways. Uh, This read and rant is going to be posted on our Facebook group right afterwards. The Facebook group is called The Font Everywhere the font everywhere. So you can always go back and reference uh, the previous read and rants um, on the font everywhere, Facebook group. And also um, a month later, this particular uh, reading you'll see uh, you'll, you'll see uh, in, in our uh, read and rant podcast. I made this and I turned this into a podcast. It was nothing planned. It was just something that happened. So you can subscribe, just go to, you know, um, the Apple podcast or your podcast, your favorite podcast platform. I believe, no, I believe it's on Spotify and it's on Apple. Um, you can just search read and rant podcast and you can, um, and you can connect there, but yeah, the font everywhere is not just for the read and rants. Um, the font everywhere is a community. It's really a community, man. And it's awesome. It's just incredible to see people connecting with each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other. Um, um, and also reading the word together, sharing what what the Lord is doing in, to them, with them, through them in this season. So, guys, hey, Gary, what's good? Um, guys, it's an incredible thing. And so, guys, I just want to encourage you, encourage you right now. Go ahead and join the font everywhere and you can catch um, and you can catch the read and rants um, there. So I want to encourage you guys uh, connect with us there. Um, so yeah, let's get right into it. We're going to be reading through Genesis 25. I don't have anything prepped or planned. I know I have a class right after this, so I won't be able to hang for, for, for a really long time, but I do believe that the Lord always has something to say. He's always speaking. He's always, um, he's always speaking. And so it's up to us to attune ourselves as we prayerfully read through the scriptures to see what God is saying. And so, um, this is what we're going to do today. And let's see what the Lord, let's see what the Lord leads. Let's see where the Lord takes us. Uh, Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. Father, tune our ears to you that we may 
hear you and and Lord, that we would discover who you are through your word. Father, I thank you for each and every person who's attending with us right now, who's uh, joining us right now. Father, I pray that you would speak to them as well as they read this word. Father, I thank you. Uh, Lord, that you incline your ear towards us, hearing us as we call on your name. And Lord, that Lord, you've given us the privilege to be in your presence, Lord. To encounter your presence, to experience your presence. So bless us in this time as we engage in your word. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go. Genesis 25. Let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. Verse 1. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ashbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letutsim, Letutsim, and Lumim. And the sons of Midian were Apha, Epher, Hanak, Abeda, Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. (laughs) And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son, Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nabajah, then Kedar, then Evdil, then Mibsam, then Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Temar, Jetu, Nafish, Kadema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the lives, the life of Ishmael, one hundred and thirty-seven years. And he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt in Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old, and he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. 
and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire to the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled to give her birth, to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And and Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. (laughs) Ah, Genesis 26. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heavens of the heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. But he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until 
he became very prosperous for all, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father called them. So Isaac and his servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name Esek, because they quarreled with him. <laughs> then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Shitna. Then he moved from there and dug another well and did not quarrel over it. And they did not quarrel over it, for he called its name Rehobo, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar to Huzah. One of his friends, Fickle, the commander of the army, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there be now an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you, but good have sent you away in peace. Sorry, since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about, about the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith and his daughter, Beri the Hittite, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Rebekah, and Isaac. I'm going to stop right there. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop right here. We'll continue with Genesis uh, 27 tomorrow. Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, you'll notice that we spent about 20 to 30 minutes um, reading through scripture. We do this every weekday morning for the sake of journeying with you in the reading of scripture. Um, I just believe that it's a powerful endeavor. It's a powerful activity for every believer 
to just read the scriptures. And some of you may be intimidated by that. You may say, man, I don't fully understand what I'm reading. This thing is kind of confusing. I don't know what this is about. It's just, there's just so much there. I want to invite you just to read it. Don't even worry about understanding everything you've read. Just read it. Um, there's, there's something incredibly powerful in those who read. If we're faithful to just reading the word of God, God's going to be faithful to reveal himself to us. It's a travesty that many of us spend more time hearing what pastors and, and preachers and teachers say about the scriptures more than spending time in the scriptures ourselves. And this doesn't take away, let me make sure you understand this, that this doesn't take away from um, the importance of teachers and pastors. Bible study has a place. Scriptural teaching has a place, okay? But it should not replace the reading of the scriptures themselves. Every believer should read the scriptures. And part of what has made um, the church such a broken uh, expression today and why we see in our history uh, examples of the oppression of the church was because people didn't read their word. Let me say that again. The reason why we've seen brokenness and some of the evil expressions of the church, be it in the United States and outside of the United States, the the abuse, the spiritual abuse, uh, the ecclesial abuse, the pastoral abuse, the cultural abuse, the political abuse, um, the church in the United States being complicit in some of the evil, some of the greatest evils of our country. And yet the, 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 the church itself being complicit in that evil. A lot of those things that we have seen and we've observed um, a lot of the brokenness that has come out of the church itself is in part because we never empowered believers to read the scriptures. Most people, when they tell you what the Bible says, they're actually not telling you what they have read from the word. They're telling you what somebody else told them about what the Bible says. And this goes many ways around. I know I'm ranting, but this is what we do. We rant for, 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 for the remainder of the time um, after we read the scriptures. But I just want to make sure you understand my heart and why this is so important and why this is so necessary and why this is such a powerful endeavor is because often what happens is, is that people, when they, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about the Bible, but never really say what the Bible says. There are a lot of people who have a lot to say about what scripture says, but never really say what the scriptures say. They, they say a lot about what somebody else is telling you about what the Bible says, but they never really know what the Bible says. So people have all these presuppositions and all these um, assumptions and all these things that just come out of you asking where they get it from. They never got it out for themselves. They got it from somebody who told it to them. And so for me, I believe that one of the most transformative activities for the body of Christ, especially for those who are pastors, those who are apostles, those who are prophets, those who are evangelists, um, who are the teachers, is the most powerful endeavor that we can engage in as a leaders of the body and as ministers of the gospel is to empower believers to read the word for themselves. Not simply show up on Sunday, hear what the what, what some preacher uh, has to say in in his 45 minutes of preaching, what he has to say about the word. No, that has a place though. And, and I want to make sure you understand that there is a place for that. Um, there's a place for exhortation. There's a place for encouragement. If you notice on my TikTok, I don't do a lot of Bible study in my TikToks. 
I don't do a lot of Bible teaching in my TikToks. I spend time in prayer and exhortation and encouragement. I want to encourage. I want to exhort. I want to pray because there's a place for that. That's important for us because we are uh, emotional beings. We are psychological beings. We are people who need to be cared for, who need to be loved, who need to be instructed. We need wisdom. We need um, to, be, to, be, to be given insight into how we are to navigate through the vicissitudes of life. We need, we, we need assistance, right, in navigating through life. And that's all good. That's all good. But there's also a place for the reading of the word. And the unfortunate reality, family, is that more people get exhortation, they get words of encouragement, but they never get deep into their discipline of reading the word. And they wonder why their lives don't change. As a matter of fact, I know I'm, I'm, I'm full blown rant. Let me just full blown rant for you. Um, as a matter of fact, you cannot grow with the candy that you get on Sunday. You cannot grow with um, the bubblegum preaching that you get on Sunday. You cannot grow from that. You cannot change from that. And the travesty is, is that people go to church every Sunday for 10 years in their life. For 20 years, they go to church, but they never change. They're still the same person going through the same things, dealing with the same generational curses, dealing with the same generational curses that mama dealt with, de dealing with the same general curses that their dad dealt with, dealing with the same stuff. And they continue on this continual cycle, never really transformed, but they get all that. They get a good word. They get a good word. Let me ask you a question, family. Can you tell me what the sermon was exactly a year ago today? Can you tell me what the preaching was exactly nine months from today. Can you tell me what the preaching was 18 months from today? Tell me what your pastor preached 18 months from today. Please tell me. Most of us will tell you that we didn't. Here's another travesty. The other travesty is, is that we have people who read or who go to church on Sunday. They read whatever the reading is for that day. And they sit there and they spend the whole hour taking notes, but they never go back to the notes. They never go back. They never go back and study. They never go back and read. They never go back and discipline. They've never been empowered to do it. And here's the travesty. We as pastors, we never check people to see whether or not they're actually being equipped in the word. And we wonder why as pastors, people feel disempowered. Like we wonder why as pastors, we end up doing all the work. We end up doing all the work because we created needy Christians. We created people who weren't really built up in the faith. We create people who never actually spent time in growing in the word and being built up in the word. And then we as pastors get frustrated when people come to us all the time with prayer and they're going through the same stuff over and over and over. Why won't they change? Why won't they be transformed? Why won't, you know, why, why are we still stuck? Here, let me tell you why we're stuck. We're stuck because we never built people up. We never built people up. We just gave people a good 45 minute sermon on Sunday. We gave them a good moment. We prayed for them and we encouraged them. They felt encouraged in that moment and they had just enough to make it. But how are you going to make it to Wednesday when all you got was some candy on Sunday? How are you? How are you going to make it through? There are people who literally come to church on Sunday on E. Oh, man. They come to church on Sunday on E. They come to church on Sunday, gotten beat down throughout the week, went through hell 
and back. And they're coming to church on Sunday just so they can get another hit. Just so they can get another emotional hit. Just so they can get another word of encouragement. And they get just enough that Sunday that can get them back to zero. And then they go through the rest of the week being depleted because what you got on Sunday is not enough to make it. It's not enough to make it. Sunday means nothing without the weekly discipline. And a lot of times what happens is as Christians is, is we, we are very consumeristic in our Sunday worship. We go to church to get the most we can out of it. And then we go throughout the week getting depleted, come back to church to get the most that we can out of it. So we never come into church with any power. We never come into church bringing anything to the table because we never came with the mindset to bring anything to the table. But if we change the paradigm, right? If we shifted the paradigm where now it's not about what I get out of church on Sunday, but what I actually bring to church, what I actually bring to the gathering, what I actually bring to the table. When we actually get into the mindset that I got to build myself up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So when I come on Sunday, I'm coming with the full power of God through the discipline that I had in my word, through my discipline in times of prayer, that now when I come to church, I'm looking around for the person who's sick, that I can lay on my hands on them and they will recover. That I will look for the person who's in need, that I will minister and prophesy to them. That I will look for the person. We need to shift out of this consumeristic, needy perspective and to move in the power that God gives each and every believer. Church on Sunday wasn't meant to be a spectator sport and church on Sunday wasn't meant for the spiritual professional to go up on the stage and do his shuka shuka or her shuka shuka and impress you with their performance. We've got to get out of this performance mindset church. We have to get out of this performing mindset where we're here to feed the needy flock. We've got to get back to a coaching mindset where you came here today for me to give you all the tools you need for you to get built up throughout the week. Real ministry does not happen on Sunday, fam. Real ministry happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. There's more church happening on the weekday than there is happening on the weekend. And that's the unfortunate travesty, fam. That's the unfortunate travesty. The unfortunate travesty is, is we don't build people up anymore. So people now, when they come, they come with, this is what my pastor said about the Bible. Or they come with, I watched a video on YouTube and it was really encouraging and it helped me in a time of weakness. Or they'll tell you, you know, I got some good life advice from a pastor who was preaching uh, about marriage or preaching about relationships or preaching about my finances. And it's not to say that those things aren't important and not to say that there isn't a place for that. But if that's all it is, then, man, we are selling the body of Christ short. And we wonder why the church has lost power. We wonder why the church has lost influence. We wonder why People on the outside are looking at the church like, man, this thing is a joke. Because you know what? To be honest with you, it looks like a joke. It really does. When you think about it, it looks like a joke. Just step outside. Because I know for some of us, we have, um, um, we've been inured 
from the year to the year, the date, the month to month, the week to week of church, that it's just become normal for us. But think about this for a second, that people show up, people show up to church on Sunday for an hour to an hour and a half to get a word of encouragement and to go back home and to be just as discouraged then as they were the week before. Think about that. Like think about people at the people outside of the church who go and they look, they see, well, look at all those people going into that building with their Bibles. Oh, they walked in up oh, and now they walked out thinking that they're good, thinking that they have it all together. Look at that. Oh, there they go again. Back next week. Imagine the neighbor who's living across the street from the church. Imagine that for a second. The neighbor who's across the street from the church, who sees the same good old Christians walking into the building with the Bible in their hand. And they watch about an hour and a half later, same good old Christians walk on out with smiles on their faces, hugging themselves and, and look at them loving that church thing. Well, guess I'll see them again next week. And we wonder why nobody takes the church seriously because there's nothing impressive about that. There's no power in that. There's no transformation in that. There's no restoration in that. There's nothing. People don't see a demonstration of God's power and they don't see a people who are really being empowered. They see a people who are being fed by a person. And I don't care how good of a preacher somebody is, how good of a minister somebody is, how good of an instructor somebody is, if, if you're getting a word and you're depending on a person, that person falls infinitely short of the glory of God. I don't care. I don't care who they are. I don't care how prophetic they are. I don't care how much anointing they got. I don't care about none of that. It does not matter. They fall infinitely short. And the travesty family is the travesty. The travesty is, is that people outside the church see it more than us. And we wonder why the gospel doesn't really invite people in. We're trying to bring people in with bubblegum sermons. We're trying to attract people with feel-good messages. We're trying to get people, right, riled up. Let's create a good concert. Let's create a good experience. Let's make a good let's let's make it as entertaining as we can. Not realizing that no life is being transformed we're just giving them bounce houses and Easter eggs on Easter. We made the church attractive for the wrong reasons. I don't know why I'm on this. It must be the COVID. It must be the COVID, y'all. But we have made the church attractive for the wrong reasons. And I always tell people, whatever you bait somebody with is what you got to keep them with. They didn't come. They say, well, you know, have them come with the nice bounce houses and stuff and then give them Jesus. They didn't come for that. That wasn't a need. That was a want. Jesus met people's needs and then gave them the gospel. We're over here entertaining people's fleshly desires and thinking if we entertain their flesh, then we will awaken their spirit. We can't awaken anybody in the spirit, giving them flesh. We have to give them the word. Sorry if I have to do this, but honestly, for people who are outside the church and for people who 
who aren't um, who aren't Christian. I, I don't. I I can't. I I, can't, I have a hard time not seeing what they see. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I truly believe this. I truly believe this, that there's a blessing that came out of COVID-19 and it's that it disrupted the rhythm. COVID-19 has been an incredible, for all the pain that COVID-19 has brought, for all the suffering that it's brought, for all the difficulties, the challenges, the economic turmoil, all of that, COVID-19 in many ways has been a blessing for the church. Because COVID-19 disrupted the rhythm of the church. People couldn't go to church on Sunday. People couldn't get in the buildings. People couldn't do the stuff that they usually did. And once that rhythm was disrupted and disrupted and that habit was disrupted, people had to sit back and look back and ask themselves, what have I been doing for the last five years? What have I actually done for the last five years? Except go to church on Sunday. No, this has been good, fam. This has been real good because now that people have been so disrupted by the church, they're asking themselves, what's the purpose of even being here? And this is now beginning to challenge pastors and ministers and leaders who may be saying, I don't even know now what to do because we've been so used to doing this thing. And now all this has been important. What if I told you that this is a watershed moment for the church? What if I told you that this is an opportunity for the church to finally be the church that God intended us to be? We weren't even meant to be a Sunday church. You know that family. I know we don't have time to get into Bible study and all that other stuff right now, but the whole Sunday worship did not exist in the first century church. First Sunday morning services, getting up, going to church on Sunday did not even exist in the Bible. It didn't even exist. That was something that was created by, by, by the Roman Empire, instituted by the Roman calendar that we would all just subject ourselves to now going to church on Sunday because that's how the pagans worship. Anybody who tells you that Sunday is the day that you have to go to worship has fallen under the guise of Roman Greco influence on the church. But for 200 to 300 years, there was no such thing as a Sunday worship. There was no such thing as a Sunday sermon. There was no such thing as, as there was no such thing as that family. There was no such thing. You know what? I I may just do, I I think I'm going to do a preaching series. And I may do a Bible study eventually on on removing every golden calf of the church, all the golden calves of our church. The, The sermon is a golden calf of the church. The sermon did not exist. The weekly sermon, let me say that again, the weekly sermon did not exist for the first 200 to 300 years of the church. The time when the church exploded the fastest was the time when there was not a Sunday sermon. There was not a Sunday worship service that did not exist. Church was happening in homes where people met and broke bread with each other and read the scriptures and talked about the scriptures. That was what the church was. And these people moved in the power of God. That was what it was. That's what we see in the Bible. We do not see a Sunday worship fam. Sorry. 
It didn't exist. It didn't exist. We let the Roman Empire create that for us. With the Roman Empire. What if I told you that most of the things that you do, this is for the cultural Christians, okay? I know this is going to be tough, I know, but I love you all. That's why I'm, that's why I'm coming hard today. Um, this is for every cultural Christian. This is for every cultural Christian, okay? About 80 to 90% of everything you do that is church-related is not biblical, but more cultural. 80 to 90% of everything you do right now as a Christian is not biblically based but culturally based 80 to 90% of everything you do as a Christian when people say what do Christians do 80 to 90% of everything they do was actually instituted to them by a pagan empire pagan empire we're actually practicing a pagan Christianity 80 to 90 percent of what we do is paganism now let me make sure you guys understand this um because I know I know this is gonna make a lot of people uncomfortable it's gonna make a lot of people uncomfortable um when, when I say paganism, automatically people think paganism is evil. Not all things that are pagan are evil. Pagan is pagan, meaning it's not it's not it's not spiritual, it's not biblical, it's not founded on scripture, it's cultural, and it's not founded on anything. And a lot of it is uh, demonic and satanic. Sunday. The, the, the Sunday worship was instituted by by uh, by the Roman Empire. When people say, well, Jesus died on the cross and he changed worship from, from, from Saturday to Sunday. Guys, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> you know, or, or people say, you know, uh, you need to come to church every Sunday. We, you, you must gather every Sunday. Don't miss church on Sunday. And you go, where, where is that? And please tell me where in the scripture that is. Please tell me. Show me where that is in the Bible. Uh, or, or people, like there, there's a lot of things that we do. We do it because we've always done it. Because somebody told us to do it. Because a pastor told us to do it, because a leader told us to do it. And they're pastors who are teaching this. They're teaching it because somebody told them this. Yes, even, even some of our religious holidays were actually more economics driven than they were spiritually driven. Lent was economics driven, Lent wasn't driven by scripture. Like I said, family. 80 to 90% of everything we do is not biblical. It's not scriptural. So this was my long rant to tell you why we read the Bible and why it's so important for believers to read the word. And any pastor, any pastor or leader that teaches the Bible in such a way that 
it becomes, it creates a dependence on the leader and the teacher in a way that doesn't clarify things to help empower you to go and be the church where you go on your own. Any, any pastor who teaches scripture in this, in this way that makes themselves the, the spiritual experts. Okay. Any, 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 any time that that sort of culture is created, family, it isn't biblical. Uh, ministry is actually, actually isn't for pastors. Just so you guys know. My last thing, and then I'll give you just one quick thought here. I'm sorry if I went on this rant. I apologize. Just it's the COVID. I'm back from the COVID. Um, I'll leave you with one last thought. In Ephesians, I'll say this one to, oh, I'll say it many times. In Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 11, it says, and he calls some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. There are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are pastors, and there are teachers whose job is to devote their lives to equipping the believers to go and do the work of ministry. Meaning, the apostle isn't directly doing ministry. The prophet is not directly doing ministry, as we would think it. The evangelist is not directly doing ministry. Watch this paradigm shift, family. The the pastor is not directly doing ministry. The teacher is not directly doing ministry. They are indirectly doing ministry through the caring of the people that do the work of ministry. So who's actually doing ministry? The parishioners. The people who show up, the flock, they're the ones who do the ministry. Do you hear that? They're the ones who do the ministry. But we who have been, you know, been become the, the teachers of the scripture, who are, who are the ones who are equipped in the scriptures, we equip you to go and to do ministry. So when you go, man, you know, I want to quit my job to do ministry. No, your job is ministry. Yeah, you know, right now I'm a nurse, but I just feel like the Lord is calling me to ministry. No, being a nurse is ministry. You know, I'm just a businessman and, you know, I only have a bunch of enterprises and, you know, I just try to tithe and give to my church because that's the best I can do right now because I can't really do any ministry. No, your business is ministry. Yeah, but, you know, all I have is a, you know, is a, a, a trash collection business and, and yeah, it's very successful, but it's not really God's work. Yes, collecting trash is God's work. You know, I'm only a I'm only a doctor, and you know, I don't really I don't really do much ministry. I'm just a surgeon, and you know, I try to you know I go to my pastor and I, I try to tithe to him at least because at least I know I'm I'm helping in some way to do no, no, you're not helping in some way to do ministry. You're doing ministry. You are a minister of healing. 
He calls some to be. So for me, if he calls me to be an apostle, I'm here to equip and create systems and institutions and organizations that help send those people out to do ministry. You're a massage therapist. Exactly. You're doing ministry. You're doing ministry from Monday through Saturday. You're doing ministry. I had a person say, well, you know, I just work at McDonald's. I mean, there's nothing special there. No, that's ministry. You're a hairstylist. Yes, that's ministry. You're, you're doing ministry right where you are. You're doing more ministry. You run a nonprofit. That is ministry. That is ministry, family. You're a musician. That is ministry. I'm going to post this on Facebook later because my the the device that I use, the phone that I use for my Facebook is it's it's broken. It's not even working. You're all doing ministry in your own unique way, in the way that God has gifted you. So that's just that's just I just want to make sure I threw that out there. 